the Siege of New Hampshire series by McRowland. Book Three, Hunger Season. Chapter 20, Part 1, Back Door The woods were unusually quiet. The soft crunch of snow beneath Martin's snowshoes, or the faint swish of nylon from his parka, were all the sounds he could hear. There were still three hours before the time Robert said he'd bring the ski buckboard around. Martin was looking forward to getting to Town Farm and escorting Margaret and Dustin home. The fresh snow wasn't as deep in the woods as it was in the open areas, where the wind could create drifts. It was as if the great etch-a-sketch had been shaken. The forest floor was a smooth, unblemished blanket of white. Even the foxes, rabbits, and squirrels, rare as they were becoming, seemed to be staying in their holes. Martin mused at how well the fresh snow would reveal the tracks of intruders the double edge of that being that his own tracks would be visible too. The drifts would make travel more difficult, so Trouble would have a harder time coming to town. That thought brought him some peace of mind. He had had quite enough of Troubles for a while. He stepped over the little river. Dark water burbled at the bottom of a twisting, narrow rut in the snow. He approached Mara's campsite, making little effort to be stealthy. He didn't want to surprise her and have to dodge a spear. He did, however, want to be sure that she had weathered the blizzard okay. Her small hut resembled a beaver lodge in a snow-covered pond, a mere lump of white. Martin wrapped his walking stick against a tree trunk. Mara peered over the top of her white mound. Even though he could speak, Martin somehow felt that non-verbals was the lingua franca with Mara. He raised his walking stick and traced a question mark in the air. She raised hers twice, as if the stick was nodding yes. Apparently, she was okay. He waved and turned back to finish his patrol. Base 99! Come in, Fowler! Come in! Judy's voice sounded urgent. Fowler here. Uh, what's up? Something bad's going on. Mr. Murdoch radioed. The Scots down on South Road said a big truck with a couple dozen men stormed his farm. Martin picked up his pace. They all had big guns, killed one of his cattle, started cutting it up, made a bonfire to cook some right there. Scots couldn't fight them all, got into their safe room okay, kept radioing, but men were trashing their house. Did Jean or, or somebody call out the response teams? Martin tried to run, but there was no rushing snowshoes. A trot was the best he could do. Yes, the buckboard will be here in less than ten minutes. Coming as fast as I can. Fowler, out. Martin pocketed the walkie-talkie. He needed his breath for trotting. Even at his double-time pace, he was more than ten minutes out. Martin half-tumbled into the house, with one snowshoe refusing to unbuckle. Lucas and Trevor helped him up. When will, the, when will the buckboard be here? It came and went already, said Judy. Carlos went with them. He took that hunting rifle you captured. A oh, blast, Martin stomped around the kitchen. Now what am I supposed to do? His imagination was rapidly painting pictures he didn't want to see. Why weren't you answering me? Judy waved the radio in her hand. Needed to breathe. Who was on the buckboard? 
hard to tell with their coats and hats. Both the Hendrick brothers, I think, Mr. Oldham from next door, and a couple other guys I didn't recognize. Mr. Mardot said they are all supposed to meet up with the others at the center of town. It sounds like the attackers left the Scott farm with half a cow on the flatbed. They were headed north, toward the town farm. Judy flailed her arms. I'll just have to get there on foot, Martin said. It was a long walk, and not fast on snowshoes, but it was the only option. His mind quickly traced out his shortest route. I can go over Baldwin's Meadow, the shortcut past Mill Pond, then jog down Haverhill Road to the dairy, then that back road to the town farm. He suddenly realized that attackers, riding on a large flatbed, had come up South Road on a path cleared by Kutch and his men. That would take them past town farm but if they pressed on, into the center of town. Martin was certain that Stubu would rally the available men in the center and move down South Road to meet the attack. That meant that the road from the dairy would come in beside the raiders. He would need camouflage. Quick, while I'm getting my gear, Judy, get some of Ruby's white polyester pants from that box. Anna, there's some tape in that drawer at the end there. Martin hurried to the small bedroom and fetched two more magazines for the carbine. He pocketed a small box of rounds, too. "'Can I come, too?' asked Trevor. "'What? Why?' "'Well, I want help. I don't expect you give me a gun or nothing, and that's cool. But I do know the way around the farm, and I know how to open that little back door from the outside and stuff. I just want to help you guys. I need to travel fast, Trevor. Sorry.' I can do pretty good at them tennis rackets. Oh, come on, let me try. If I can't keep up with you, you just go on without me, okay? Martin was in no mood to haggle. Oh, fine. Get suited up. But you're going to need camo, too. Judy handed Martin a pair of Ruby's white pants. He slit the legs into six wide ribbons. With Anna and Lucas's help, he draped them over his shoulders, one around each leg, barber pole fashion. The ragged waistband portion he wore like an Indian headdress. No, not your blue coat, Martin said. There, in the closet. Get that brown one. It might be a little short for you, but it's less obvious. Anna and Lucas draped the white strips on Trevor, the same as they had done on Martin. The last strip Martin spiraled around his carbine to break up its dark outline. Okay, that's enough. Let's go. Martin clomped to the back door and out onto the snowy deck. Trevor followed close behind. The trek up the meadow path went quickly, as the trampled path had already been created. The shortcut past Mill Pond was more work. The fresh powder was prone to falling on top of his snowshoes, pulling the toe down. Martin stumbled a few times. He had to lift his feet higher to ensure that the toe cleared. The extra work was generating more body heat. He unzipped the parka. That was good for a while. Trevor was keeping up well. Following on Martin's fresh path meant less work. At one point, on Haverhill Road, Martin had to stop and take off his parka. I'll put this back on when we get closer. For now, I'm baking in here. He draped the coat over his back like a cape, with the sleeves tucked into the bib straps of his snow pants. The cool air felt refreshing when they resumed their awkward jog. Many shots, rapid shots, could be heard in the distance. Sounds echoed around, but they could have been coming from the direction of Town Farm. Martin picked up his pace. Dark pictures flashed through his mind. He could see Dustin firing from a window, 
but falling, hit. He could see Margaret beating off an attacker with a stick, but being overpowered by several men. A shudder of fear rippled across his shoulders and down his arms. He had to hurry, no matter how his legs ached. As he trotted down the gentle hill toward the dairy, more shots rang out. They were much closer. Martin kept up his pace, but scanned ahead more intently, looking for signs of trouble. Ahead, across the road, Martin could see two men behind trees, firing at the dairy's farmhouse. Had the attackers fanned out and reached the dairy? The men behind the trees hadn't seen him. He hoped to reach the barn before they did. Hey, Trevor called out, up ahead, there's a dude by the barn. A man knelt at the far corner of the white dairy barn, firing a rifle at the house. At the sound of Trevor's voice, the man turned. He saw Martin jogging toward him, stood, and shouldered his rifle. The man looked up over his sights. It's you! Adam glared at him. He quickly raised his rifle and tried to reacquire his aim. Martin sidestepped as quickly as snowshoes allowed, trying to get the back corner of the barn between him and the gun. Adam fired too impulsively. The shot was high and wide. Martin shuffled sideways, watching Adam try to regain his aim. He fired again. Martin fell. He had fallen off the concrete retaining wall into the cow pen. The ground of the cow pen was five feet lower than the roadway. With the fresh snow and the old wooden fence removed to repair the barn, Martin had simply forgotten the cow pen was down there. Landing hard on his back reminded him abruptly. In the fall, his coat had flown off his shoulders. It wafted down into the middle of the pen. One snowshoe had twisted free. The carbine was pinned beneath him. More loud shots rang out nearby. Laying at the base of the wall, Martin could see Adam's shadow peeking out from the shadows of the barn. He couldn't see Adam himself. A curl of wind-blown snow overhung the retaining wall. Come on, Adam! We gotta go! came a distant voice. Hold on a sec. I got a sukwa to settle. Adam's shadow quickly peeked around the corner again. Martin dared not move. He saw the shadow shoulder his weapon and fire three rapid shots. Martin rolled slightly to see his coat lying spread eagle in the snow. The last of the plumes of snow were sprinkling down over his parka. Now, Adam, the voice demanded. We came too far already. Back to the truck. Okay, okay. Adam's shadow disappeared. Martin lay still. He could hear more shots. People in the farmhouse were exchanging fire with Adam and his cohorts as they withdrew up the back road. Oh, man, they done shot him. Trevor's voice came from above and behind. Trevor? Martin said quietly. What? You ain't dead? I saw him shoot you square. No, down here, Martin sat up. It looks like he shot my coat. Martin got onto his knees and then stood. There you are. Oh, you is one lucky dude. You know that. Where are they now? They hightailed it back up the road. Folks in the house been shooting at him. Martin stepped out to retrieve his coat and lost snowshoe. Man, I would have thought cow poop would be frozen. Got it on my boots, my knees, got it all over my carbine, and I just cleaned it. He used one of the white sashes on his parka to wipe down his carbine. Hoo, you sure do smell like cow. Trevor held his nose. Yeah, thanks. Never mind, Martin said sarcastically. 
He rubbed his boots and knees with snow. Come on, we need to get to town farm. You mean follow them dudes with the guns? Trevor's voice squeaked. No, they'll be watching the road. Some men from the dairy will be getting up to go up the road. See them? That'll keep the bad guys busy on the road. I'm going to go through the woods here. Still want to come? Well, sure. I know them woods. We've been hauling pines out of them. I'll show you one of our trails. Martin followed Trevor into the woods. The trail followed a shallow swale toward the barn. When they could see the roof of the barn between the trees, Martin signaled for them to adjust their white camo, his now with some brown splotches and stripes. They secured their floppy white headdresses and then proceeded, bent low. Two bad guy pickets crouched behind trees on the opposite side of the road. Martin moved farther, slowly peeking up over the slow rise to check his progress. He wanted to be behind the farman's nine o'clock, so less liable to show up in his peripheral vision. He was tempted to simply take them out, but that would risk bringing more of the bad guys running. Martin moved only when the farman was focused on his sights. Someone was working forward along the edges of the road. Martin guessed it might be someone from the dairy. Whoever they were, they were engaging the two pickets in occasional shots. That was the distraction Martin needed. Eventually, he and Trevor made it to the back of the town farm's barn. They pressed flat against the red boards. Okay, said Martin. The little back door is just around the corner. When those two behind the trees are busy shooting, slip around and do whatever it is you did. Keep low. Trevor swallowed hard and nodded. The pickets alternated firing. Trevor rushed around the corner, crouching low. He pressed his hand against one of the door's boards. It flexed, such that the top bowed out. He pulled the board away just enough to reach his hand inside and undo the simple lock. After a careful look at the pickets, Trevor slipped in. Martin waited for another burst of fire from the pickets before he followed Trevor inside. Coming from the bright white snowscape, the low level of light in the barn was as black as night. It took a while for Martin's eyes to adjust enough to see the thin strips of daylight that filtered in between the barn boards. "'Dirt floor, pretty quiet,' whispered Trevor. He pointed to the wooden stairs at the opposite corner. The air in that lower level was moist, earthy, and smelled of long-absent livestock. "'You smell right at home for here,' Trevor flashed a big smile over his shoulder. They could hear the voices of some men, scolding tones, and heavy footsteps on the floorboards above them. At the foot of the stairs, Trevor stopped. He whispered point-blank into Martin's ears. "'I figured out how to unbolt my chain on, well, like the third day. I'd sneak out at night just to breathe the fresh air. Had to learn where the creaky stairs were. Step where I step.' Trevor led the way up the boxed spiral stairs to the upper level. With one finger across his lips, he pointed to where Martin should place his feet. Near the top, Trevor motioned for Martin to come alongside and peek over the short railing wall. Two men with ARs guarded a crowd of people packed into a corner near the wood stove. It looked to be everyone from the farm. Martin could see Mr. and Mrs. Webster, Paul, Jerry, and others that he recognized, but had never learned their names. He saw Dustin with a bandage over his head and eye. He didn't see Margaret. 
Man, this totally stinks, said the shorter hoodlum guarding the residence. The other guys get to attack the town, and we're stuck in here, babysitting. I hadn't been able to fire this new toy. The man shook his AR. Both stood, facing the crowd, their backs to the corner stairs. Well, if things go sideways, replied the other man, you might get your chance. Paul's young daughter was the first to spot Martin peeking up over the stairway wall. Martin held his finger up to his lips. She tugged on her mother's sweater and pointed with her eyes. Martin was very glad the little girl was extremely shy and hadn't blurted out, Hey, there's a guy hiding in the stairs. Paul's wife saw Martin. She nudged her husband. Paul's eyes got very wide. Martin's mind searched for a plan. He couldn't simply shoot the guards. All of the residents were the backstop behind his targets. In the movies, the bad guy guards were always standing close to the hero's concealment so he could simply jump up and strangle them. These two guards weren't following that script. They stood in the middle of the barn. The old floorboards were too creaky to allow sneaking up on them. Are you game for taking out those guards with me? Martin whispered to Trevor. I'll take one. You take one. Trevor hesitated. I think they're going to be hostages if their buddies start losing the battle out there. How are we going to do that? All them boards creaks. I'm hoping Paul and the others can create a diversion, some noise that will keep the guards looking away and mask our approach. But we have to keep them from calling out. Who knows how many are outside? Trevor nodded nervously. Okay. Gotcha. Quiet-like. Through a crack between the boards, Martin could see the guards pacing restlessly. They looked directly at the stairs, but in the dim barn light, Martin's eye wasn't obvious. When they both faced the crowd again, Martin rose up to use hand gestures. He made scuffling motions with his hands and pointed to the guards. A finger over his lips signaled that he wanted a quiet distraction. Paul stared aside for a moment, then looked back with a small smile and a little nod. By this time, others in the crowd had spotted Martin, but were astute enough not to stare in his direction. The guards had, however, picked up on the subtle new energy among their prisoners. "'Hey, what's up with you guys?' asked the shorter man. "'Um, nothing,' Paul said aloud. He moved his hands behind his back. "'Hey, what you have there?' asked the other man. "'Come on, what do you got?' "'Nothing. The one guard outside the barn said I could keep it.' "'Good going, Paul,' Martin chuckled to himself. He now knew something valuable, only one other guard, but nearby. "'What do you have? Let me see.' Both guards moved closer, but warily. "'No, you'll only take it away. He said I could keep it,' said Paul. The others began to stir and murmur. "'I'll take the shorter one on the left,' Martin whispered. Trevor nodded. As Martin crept up the last stairs, into full view, he motioned with his arms that the crowd should get boisterous. They complied by shifting their weight or changing positions where they sat. The barn floor creaked in many places. Martin pulled out his camping knife, although he wasn't sure just what he was going to do with it. Stab the man? Cut his throat? He had no idea how to cut someone's throat. Still, he couldn't use his gun. The knife was the only other weapon available. He would have to play it by ear. 
Before he was halfway to his quarry, the floorboard beneath Martin groaned loudly. The taller guard turned and saw Martin. Before he could draw in a breath, Trevor leapt and body-checked the man to the floor. The shorter guard raised his gun to shoot at Trevor, but hesitated for lack of a clear target as the two wrestled on the floor. Martin leapt at his man, knocking him to the floor. The two of them slid into the crowd of seated prisoners. Martin questioned the wisdom of grappling with a man with a knife in one hand that only left one hand free to grab and wrestle. People in the crowd pulled away the toppled man's gun. As the man reached for the gun to retrieve it, he rolled with his back to Martin. Trying to remember how it looked in the movies, Martin curled his arm around the man's neck with the knife blade against his throat. Make a sound and you're dead, Martin said into the man's ear. The man froze. Everyone in the crowd froze, too. Some looked away, in anticipation. Martin glanced to his right to see Trevor's man going limp from a chokehold. "'Get some rope or something,' Martin said in a hoarse whisper. "'Tie these guys up. Gag em. Martin held his knife to the man's throat until a woman got a bandana gag in his mouth. Another woman appeared with some electrical cord. She tied the man's wrists behind his back. "'Where's Margaret?' Martin demanded of Paul. Adam said you were dead. Huh? That was not the answer to his question. Adam came through a while back, said he got into a gunfight with you at the dairy, said he shot you dead. You were laying face down in the snow. Oh, Margaret was here. She heard what he said, and she got really upset. Oh, man, Martin grumbled. Obviously, Adam is full of it. Dustin, where is your mother? She's not here now. No, after she heard what Adam said, she lunged at him. Paul continued, but he grabbed her by the arms. Your son jumped at Adam, but his two buddies beat him down. Dustin had hobbled over to Martin by that point. Oh, sorry, Dad. I couldn't stop him. I tried, but... For crying out loud, where is she? Martin was losing his patience. The orchard store, said Paul. They said they wanted to fill up their bottles with some hard cider to take back with them. Adam joked about having Margaret be their barmaid since she was now available. Oh, crap. I gotta get to the orchard right now. Martin tapped the carbine's magazine and moved carefully toward the door. You said there was one guy outside, guarding the barn? Yeah. We need to neutralize him. I need to get past him and get to the orchard. You guys need to get out of here without anyone noticing and before these guys show up. It sounded like they planned to use you all as human shields if their attack started going wrong. I'm coming with you, said Dustin. Martin was touched and exasperated. Oh, you're too banged up, son. I'm going to have to move fast. You only have one good eye and one good hand, from the looks of your bandages. But I can still... No, I need you to help Paul to get these people out of here. Trevor, take them all out that back door. You'll have to neutralize the guys guarding the road toward the dairy. Well, how are we going to do that? Trevor balked. We can't sneak up on them. Well, you have to. You've got these two guys as guns. Better if you don't start shooting, though. It'll only call over more of them. I've got an idea, said Dustin. I was looking out the back window. The drift is pretty big behind the barn. What if several of us hide in the snow, all covered up? One of us, like, well, Trevor, maybe. Pretends to stagger out the back door, sick or, or something, and, and fall down. Then, when they come to check on him, we all jump out of the snow and grab him. Martin had to smile. Dustin was beat up, but he still had his head in the game. Well, 
make sure the two of you with guns are ready to take them out if the ambush doesn't go as planned. If you do have to shoot, take off running down the path toward the dairy. My apologies to those of you who are less fond of cliffhanger endings. When I got done recording Chapter 20, I was surprised to see that it was over an hour long. Guess I was getting caught up in the action, too. We'll finish Book 3 next week. I know, I promote memberships at Buy Me a Coffee and Patreon every other week or so, but your support does help keep this project going especially since the advertising approach turned out to be such a dud. Thanks to all of you who have bought me coffees and become members. Links for both my Buy Me a Coffee and Patreon sites are in the show description on Podbean. See you next week.